And well, this morning, I'm going to give you a message closing out a series. We've been in a series, What Does God Say About? <clears throat> and the, the heart behind the series is from 1 Peter, where it says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And one of the most frustrating things as a Christian, and even sometimes even as an unbeliever, is when you meet somebody who claims to be a Christian but doesn't know why they believe what they believe. And they struggle with those things. And we've talked about some pretty good stuff so far this month. But today, we're going to change it a little because I believe that if we don't have a revelation of what this message is about, all the other ones are going to fall short. So this morning's message is, what does God say about you? What does God say about you? Father, I ask that you would go before me today. You would preach the word the way you want to preach. None of my own opinion or theology to come out. I pray that the atmosphere and the affirmation of the Father would be in the room today. That you would affirm and that you would bless, God, every person, son and daughter in this room today. We give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. My first point is not on the screen that um, the Lord is proud of those of you who waited to celebrate Christmas until after Thanksgiving. Just want to say that. He's proud of you. Some of y'all are like, he's not proud because I celebrated early. I'm just letting you know. Just letting you know. Christmas starts after Thanksgiving. Praise God. But let me tell you a story. A couple years ago, I was over the youth camps of NRP, and we were scheduled to do a camp in Panama City. And I went to the camp. Uh, well, didn't go there yet. And I was calling, trying to get in touch with them. We'd already sent all our registrations, <clears throat> and we had done all the stuff, and they weren't answering the phone. And Anytime that you've sent like $60,000 to somebody you don't know, you probably want to know what they're doing with it, right? I would assume. So anyway, so I'm calling and people are calling me, hey, what's up with camp? And I'm like, I don't know. They want to answer the phone. So I'm calling them every day. And I finally get somebody on the phone and it's a Monday. And I said, hi, how you doing? And they're like, hey, who are you? I'm like, I'm Chris Rodriguez with the Network of Related Pastors. We have a camp with you guys in five weeks. And I have no idea that you even have us on your books. And she was like, oh, you're here. I said, okay, awesome. I said, well, somebody be in the office tomorrow. And she's like, well, yeah. I said, okay, I'll be there at 12. And she said, you're driving in from New Orleans? I said, yes. And she said, why? I said, because y'all aren't answering the phone, so I'm going to make sure that I talk to someone. So I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I drove to Panama City. And I walk into the office, and I'm sitting down with the lady, and all of a sudden, everything is perfect, right? Like they fell off the face of the planet for five months. But now everything is all great. And so I'm sitting down with the people, and I'm like, hey, you know, we're coming. We've got 280-something kids coming, blah, blah, blah. Are we good to go? Like they were doing some construction or whatever. Come to find out, the facility caught on fire. Their office was burned up, and all their contracts were lost and all this kind of stuff. And they double-booked our week. And because we were smaller, ready for this? By 14 students, we were smaller. We got bumped out of the main auditorium. And because of this, they were going to put us, ready for this, in a tent. In Panama City, on the beach, in a tent with 280-something teenagers. No, thank you. I'm not interested. And so I walked outside, and I called Ketusis. He's the boss, right? And I called him like, hey, like, what do you want me to do here? Like, this is a problem. They're going to have us in a tent. Like, if it rains, it's going to be an issue. There was an issue, actually, a major one with the rain. But um, that's for, for another time. But I'm like, what do you want me to do, you know? And he literally says, Chris, I'm in Pennsylvania. You're in Florida. Make the decision. I trust you. I'll back you what you say. Make the decision. And I was like, yeah, but, but all the, and I gave all the reasons. And he's like, you're there. I'm not. Make the decision. And he hung up the phone. Very pastoral. 
But when I walked back into the office, I felt different because I had somebody's confidence. Because I knew somebody believed in me. And so when I walked in, I said, okay, you're going to put us in a tent. They said, yes. I said, okay, I need you to rent two commercial AC units. I want them hooked up. I want the place sealed. I said, and I want it cold when we get here on Monday evening. And she's like, I said, look, figure it out. I said, if not, you're losing $60,000. We're pulling the camp. We'll go somewhere else. So sure enough, they had big old generator, gas-powered AC units. It was pretty cold up in that tent. It was pretty hot outside the tent, but it was cold in the tent. We may or may not have had a thunderstorm that caused a flood that almost killed the worship leader, but we're not going to talk about that this morning. It's okay. But my whole point is, is I walked into that situation feeling differently because I knew somebody believed in me. I knew what somebody had to say about me. I want to let you know this morning, regardless of what you're facing, regardless of what you're going through, somebody believes in you. Somebody is standing with you. Somebody is affirming you this morning. And I'm going to give you seven things that God says about you today. And I'm believing that this message is going to get not just in your head, right? Like, Because the seven things I'm going to say, all of you know, most of you know. So I'm not talking to your head this morning. I'm talking to your heart this morning. The Bible says to build ourselves up in our most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. I'm speaking to your spirit this morning. I'm speaking to your heart this morning because I believe the enemy is trying to strangle out the momentum and the morale of this congregation. And I'm just not going to put up with it. And so this morning, I want to inject some life into you so that you can go into December and into 2024 and say, God, this is the best year i have ever going to have right here. This is it. This is the, and then the next year is going to be even better than that and the next year. But I want this message to frame how you're looking forward. Say, I'm looking forward in Jesus' name. <clears throat> the first thing that God says about you is you are loved. You are loved are loved. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you imagine yourself in the worst condition you were ever in, the lowest of the low, the dirtiest of the dirtiest, the most shameful thing that you've ever done that you would never want anyone else to find out about, he loved you there. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how God demonstrated his love, that he died for sinners. Y'all, that's love. That's, that's, that's love that's inconceivable. Because if you read right before this, it said, now some might die for a good man. Maybe. Maybe. But there's Secret Service agents who will jump in front of the gun for the President of the United States. I, I will jump in front of a weapon, in front of a gun before my wife and my children. But the list of who I'm going to jump in front of a gun for is pretty short. I love a lot of you. I do. But my, my babies need me here. Right? But if you pull something on one of them, oh, I'm going to see how fast I am. Because I'm getting in front of it. That's about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we're going to be real, that's probably it. But yet Christ died for us. 
And sometimes I think we forget this, how much he loves us. I think we forget about how massive and grand and inconceivable and uh, uncomprehendable and just beyond any possible method of our ability to comprehend his love actually is. I have to quote you the, the verse from my favorite hymn because any excuse I have to quote these words, I will because they're that amazing. The, my favorite hymn is The Love of God. And the last, it was written by a man who was a housekeeper or worked for the janitor team or whatever in an insane asylum. And he walks into one of the rooms where one of the, the this is in the late 1800s, <clears throat> where one of the patients had just died. And he walks in to clean out the room to get ready for the next patient. He walks in and he sees these words carved into the wall that this extremely demented, insane person had wrote. And the words were, could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, paper, were every stalk on earth a quill, an old pen, and every man a scribe by trade, a professional writer, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. We cannot articulate the love of God. We cannot adequately do it justice because just when you think you've figured it out, you meet another person that Jesus died for, and you're like, Jesus, man, Scott is messed up. And Jesus died for Scott. He likes Ohio State, and Jesus died for him. That's unbelievable. Man. Christ died for Chris, who only likes Michigan because Scott likes Ohio State. And he died for Chris. At your lowest, he loved you. And why is it important to remember this? Because if I forget how jacked up I was when I realized he loved me, I will be very hard on you. Because I will look at myself and think, oh, look what God's done in my life when I don't realize the love that he showed me is the same love that he showed you. And if he loves you, Anywhere near as much as he loves me, who am I to judge you? So the first thing we see is that you are loved. The second thing that God says is you are forgiven. Now this takes love into a whole other level. Because see, not only did he love us and he died for us, but he forgave us. And see, the definition of forgiveness when God uses it is not the one that we most often use. When we use forgiveness, it's normally like this. I forgive you, but I'm going to keep that argument in my back pocket. The next time I want to win a fight with you, I'll pull this one out. See, I forgive you until I need that hurt again. And some of us are walking around like we're about to go to the gunfight at the OK Corral with pistols loaded with bullets of hurts and offenses from 20, 30, 15, 10 years ago from somebody. And the moment that I need to be a victim again, boom, I got it. I'm ready for you. When he says, when I forgive you, I scatter your sin as far as the east is from the west, and I remember them no more. But see, there's something very important about that verse you have to realize. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing, which means God has to make himself forget. Think about this for a second. When you want to forget something, you remember it even more, don't you? Like the most embarrassing moments of your life, you cannot forget no matter how bad you want to. 
the trauma, the, the, the pain, the, the, the thing that has that set you on a course of destruction, that event that happened to you, you wish you could forget it, but it stays right there because you try to forget it, you try to numb it out, you try to drink it out, you try to drug it out, you try to sleep with other people to get it out, but it never goes away. You try so hard that you can't make yourself forget. And the things we don't want to forget about, that's, I forget where I put my keys all the time. Caitlin told me yesterday, you have a problem. I said, yes, yes, I do. I'm convinced that my keys are alive like the Toy Story toys. And when I put them down and walk away, they move themselves. That's what I think happens. But I cannot make myself forget the things I want to forget. But God is omniscient. He knows everything, yet chooses to forget your sin. When I come to him and I say, I messed up, I screwed it up, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I need you. Or maybe, Lord, I'm a pastor and I got really angry at that person in traffic, my heart's not right, please forgive me. And he will forgive me and he will forget that it ever even happened. Think about this, when, you're, when you got to correct your, your son or your daughter, right, about the same thing for the 14 millionth time. Isn't the 14th millionth correction a little more uh, emotional than the first one. My daughters, as loving and as beautiful as they are, they did not, um, they were apparently not created with the genetic ability to keep their room clean. Because we will say clean the room, and they will start cleaning the room, and somehow starting to clean means make it dirtier. And I don't really understand this, except I did the same thing. If you asked my mom, it was the same situation. So they generically inherited it from me. But when Caitlin goes upstairs, it's like, I've cleaned this room. I've showed you where everything goes. Let's keep it like this. And that was like six years ago. And the room is still a mess. And so now when we go upstairs, girls, clean the room. The stuff is more frustrated because I have now remembered all of the times I've told you to clean the room before and you're not doing it. That's why it's so important that God forgets our sin. Because chances are I'm so dumb, I'm going to do the dumb thing again. But God in heaven reacts with me and interacts with me like it's the first time it ever happened. Why? Because he made himself forget you got to understand, when you go back to God and you've fallen short, you're not going back for the same thing again. To him, it's new. Because he forgot if you were genuine. But see, there's a catch about being forgiven. <clears throat> the Bible says that if I don't forgive you, he won't forgive me. Oh, hold on a second, Pastor Chris. You mean i got to forgive so-and-so if they did what to me? Mm-hmm, you do. There, you will find nowhere in here. Nowhere. I've been reading it for over 20 years. You will find nowhere in this book that gives me the right to hold anyone in unforgiveness. There is no place possible where it is ever tolerated. Because of everything that he forgave me of, I'm not going to forgive you. That doesn't mean I have to be okay with what you did. That doesn't mean I have to act like it never happened and just, you know, hang out with the person who molested me all the time. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I cannot hold you guilty 
anymore because he doesn't hold me. He says you're forgiven. Now, I'm, this is the other thing before we move on. I'm convinced that the only reason people spend eternity without Christ is because they choose to. They make the decision not to because you are loved and you are forgiven. And those two things are already set. They're already done. But we have to go make the connection. We have to say, Lord, I'm yours. Because everything else that he says about you in this message do not apply to you if you're not in Christ. It, they don't apply to you. So I want to make sure you understand that. You're loved and you're forgiven. But if you don't accept that forgiveness by saying, Jesus, you're Lord of my life and I'm yours, nothing else I'm going to say the rest of this message applies to you. But he says that you're loved and you're forgiven. The third thing that God says about you when you're in him is that you are no longer a slave. Galatians 4, 7. Now you are no longer a slave but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Sin owned my life. Sin governed my life. I could not tell myself no. My flesh dominated when someone did something to me. I only knew how to react the way I knew how to react. My marriage was the way it was because I was sinful. And my sin nature made me the husband I was. Or my sin nature made you the wife that you were. And so what happens is when I give my life to Jesus, the old man is gone, the old woman is gone, and there's a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that new creation is not a slave to the things the old person was. But the problem is a lot of Christians don't realize they've been free. They don't realize they've been freed. Or, or many of them realize they've been freed from sin, but not the effects of it. That's why there are people that come to service every Sunday bound with depression, bound with fear, bound with immorality, bound with, with anxiety, out of this world. Why? Because they've been set free from sin, but they're still a slave to the effects of it. They're still a slave to it. When this says, you are no longer a slave. Because if any man is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed away and all things have become new. And if I'm a new creation and my old, help me understand this, right? If I'm a new creation, if I'm a new creation, that means the old creation was the one in chains. The new one is not. And so the new one isn't anxious. The new one isn't depressed. The new one isn't sad. The new one isn't fearful. The new one is full of joy. The new one is full of peace. The new one is full of confidence because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm the new man because of Jesus. I'm no longer a slave. And this verse also says that you are his child. So first he says you are no longer a slave. Then he says you're his child. Now as I said at the beginning of this message, Thanksgiving week, calories don't count. I stopped at my mom's house the other day to pick up my dad's rifle to go hunting with. And I walked in. My kids were there. My mom wasn't even there yet. And I went straight to the pantry. And I opened the pantry, and there they were. Swiss cake rolls. You see, there are things that are very predictable in this life. The sun will rise, the mosquitoes are horrible, and Darnell's pantry is going to have Swiss cake rolls. But you see, you have to ask. 
for Swiss cake rolls. I do not. You know why? Because I'm her kid. And her Swiss cake rolls are my Swiss cake rolls. They're not yours unless she says they are. And so I walked up in there. Wham, opened that door. I said, yes, I think I will. Took me a Swiss cake roll. Closed the door. Want to live about my business. Why? Because that's my mama's pantry in my mama's house, and I'm her kid, and I have access to what's hers because I'm her kid. Galatians 4, 7 again. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. You have access to whatever is his. Hebrews chapter 4. We have a great high priest who is not unfamiliar with our sufferings. For rather being tempted and always remain sinless. And now we can approach his throne of grace with confidence and find help in our time of need. Why? Because I've got access to whatever my dad has. You have access to whatever your dad has. When you wake up and the anxiety of the bills is getting on you. I don't need that because in my dad's pantry there's peace. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my dad's pantry and I'm going to get peace out. Or you wake up and your job's a pain and your boss is killing you. Yeah, I might not be happy, but I have joy. Why? Because my daddy has joy. And if my daddy has joy, then I have joy. And you know what? I make up and I got to go have a meeting and I'm nervous about it or, or I'm going through some problems and I got to be able to speak, but I'm not a talker. No, I've got confidence because my dad's got confidence. Why? Because he's my father and I'm his kid. And what's his is mine. What's his is yours. There are too many of you walking around like a victim and a slave instead of realizing that Jesus died on the cross to give you access to everything you will need in this life. But not only am I a child. Look at that verse. God has made you his heir. Now, that is something that young people today, I did youth ministry for a long time, youth do not understand what inheritance and an heir and being an heir is. They don't know. Because of the, the assault on the family and the insult, the assault on marriage and the family in the United States, people don't understand what it means to have heirlooms. They know what it means to have that stuff passed down. My dad's not healthy and he's home and, and, and because we are the way we are, my brothers and my dad, we will joke about who's getting what because we're a little morbid and it's kind of dark humor. And so we joke about it, right? Because I, I don't know. We need help. I don't know. But there's this green jacket, this browning green jacket that my dad's grandpa bought in the 60s. And my dad doesn't leave the house very much. <clears throat> he actually came to Thanksgiving, first time he's been out of things since April, so praise God for that. But um, he never leaves. And I really like this jacket. I'm a sentimental person. And my great-grandpa wore it, and my grandpa wore it, and my dad wore it, and I want the jacket! So one day I said, hey, can I, can I just take the jacket and you could, you know, have it if you need it he's like no I said dad it sits in the closet he's like I know I said why can I have the jacket he said because I don't have much to leave you in inheritance I've been sick for a long time let me keep the jacket and you can get it so I have something to give you 
See, we don't understand that our Father in heaven has made us an heir. But I'm not waiting for somebody to die because somebody already did. So I don't have to wait for inherit, have access to the inheritance. I can walk in it. I can live in it right now. And what that means is that whatever is his is mine. I'm going to tell you something right now. Some of you in here right now are believing for restoration in your finances, in your family, in your physical body. That's something you get to inherit. You don't have to wait for it. Just begin to walk around and say, in Jesus' name, I'm healed. In Jesus' name, I'm whole. In Jesus' name, my marriage is restored. In Jesus' name, my family is restored. In Jesus' name, my mind is restored. Some of you need to start talking to your knees. In Jesus' name, this knee's going to work like it should. I'm not saying there ain't going to be 20-year-old knees. I ain't saying that. Right? I mean, I'm not making y'all bionic or nothing like that. But what I'm saying is that you can begin to speak life to your mortal body. Why? Because I'm an heir. And if it's his, it's mine. The fifth thing is you have power. You have power. But if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is why I have victory over sin. This is why I have victory and I'm no longer a slave. Is because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. And I'm telling you, we forget this all the time. We do. Some of y'all might not be able to relate to this, but some of you will. Have any of you ever had that moment? For me, it's usually in my truck. Where you're driving and you're just getting the tar beat out of you. I mean, you're just getting kicked. The enemy is kicking you and you're falling down into a pit. And, and maybe it's red light. You know, maybe I don't. And all of a sudden, something rises up on the inside of you that says enough's enough. It's never happened to you, and you just begin. You just begin to start praying, and you begin to start worshiping Jesus, and you begin to start taking authority over whatever that stuff is, and it leaves. You ever had that happen? If not, try it. It works. But see what that is. Is Chris? This flesh cannot combat and deal with what the enemy has. But greater is he that is in me, 1 John 4, 4, than he that is in the world. And so when I'm driving home or I'm driving around the parish or I'm driving somewhere and I'm battling the weight and the pressure and the stress of the decisions and the, the things or, or whatever, or I'm just frustrated and I start feeling myself getting weighed more and more down, I begin to say, no, 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 no. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And I begin to declare the word. And I begin to say, Jesus, you're greater than this. So in Jesus' name, I speak joy into my life right now. And I begin to, you might see me at a red light one day doing like karate chops at the air. I'm not mad at my steering wheel, I promise. I'm declaring things in my life. And I'm taking authority over things in my life. I'm taking authority over things in this church. I'm taking authority over things in this city. Why? Because he's given it to me and I'm a walk in it. Because he's given me power. The, that power that's in you. It's not just meant for you to have it in your own life. It's meant for you to be used. God wants to use you, and that power is how he does it. You do realize that that power is in you. So when you walk into your job site Monday morning, you walk into the classroom, you walk into the office, you walk wherever it is you go to the hospital. When you walk in, you're not walking in by yourself. Because according to what I just read, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead 
dwells in you. So when I walk into a hospital to go do my shift, it is not just Chris walking into a hospital. I'm not a nurse, but follow me here. I'm walking in. It's the Holy Spirit is going with me. When I walk into the classroom to teach the four-year-olds, Lord have mercy on all of you who do that. When you walk in, it is not just you. Greater is he that is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you walking into that classroom. My dad snapped his ankle in half in 1977. He's in the hospital. He has surgery. My grandparents are in the room. And Brother Hall, the founder of this church, is going to see him. And my dad looks at my grandmother and says, do not leave me alone with that man. And my grandma's like, okay, my dad's not serving the Lord. 30 seconds later, Brother Hall walks in the room. My dad looks at my grandma and says, can y'all leave? And if you ask my dad, my dad will tell you, when Brother Hall walked in the room, heaven came with him. And the whole room changed because the man just walked in before he opened his mouth. He just walked in the room. Why? Not because Forrest Hall was special. It was because Forrest Hall knew what was in him and invested in it. Some of you need to stop just thinking it's in you, but know it's in you and invest in it. And I promise you, you'll walk in your office and your coworkers will go, hold up. Something different right there. I've walked in places before where there was chaos and pandemonium, and I walked in the room, and all of a sudden the chaos and pandemonium stopped. There was a man in Walker, Louisiana, a man on a construction site, had fallen off of a ladder and landed in like a wood grinder and died. He was a very popular man. The whole sheriff's out, everybody's panicking, everybody's blaming everybody. The pastor walked out. Brother McMaster's name, he walks out, he shuts his car off, and somebody said when he got out the car, the car was behind people, when he put his foot on the ground, before anybody knew he was there, everybody stopped talking and started looking because they knew somebody showed up to the scene. Hear me out. Sometimes you don't know why you're in the middle of all the chaos you're in. It's because the Holy Spirit is trying to show up to the scene, and you're the person he's picking to show up through. Because you have power. And because you have power, the sixth thing that he says about you is you have victory. You have victory. Pastor Chris, what's the difference between power and victory? Power is he can use me. Victory is it don't matter if it goes my way or not, I still win. It doesn't matter. I still got the victory. It's a fixed fight. It's already done. 2,000 years ago, he said it is finished. Finished. Done. Over, complete, it's done. The victory is mine because I'm his kid and I inherited as an heir. It is mine. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis says. It doesn't matter what the bills say. It doesn't matter what any of the mess says about your life. You are a victor. The same man, Brother Hall, who walked in my dad's hospital room and led my dad to the Lord. Almost 40 years ago. Almost 50 years ago, sorry. Same man. Pretty sure it was cancer. Laying in a hospital bed in Baton Rouge. Went with my parents to go see him. You've, some of you have heard me tell this story. It's, it's like stained in my brain because I pray that if I'm ever in this position, people say the same thing about me. I hope I'm never in this position, but if I am, I want them to say this about me. And... 
And he had fluid in his lungs, and it was just a matter of time before he would go. And every inhale, you would hear the gurgle. You hear all the, the fluid gurgle, and he could barely breathe. He was taking every breath, was exhausting every You'd hear the gurgle. But every time he would exhale, it would be praise and worship unto the Lord. And he would inhale, and you would hear the gurgle. And he would exhale, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he would inhale, and he would, he would exhale, there's no name like Jesus. And he would inhale, and he would, it would come out, oh, and this went on every breath he took. You'd go in to try and talk to him, and he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even hear you because he was too busy giving God praise with every breath that he had left. That's victory. Because if we're being honest, there is nothing more final to the human experience than death. Nothing. Yet that I even have victory over. What's sad is I meet a lot of Christians who will say that they're not worried about dying because they know where they're going to spend eternity, but they're really struggling with this bill they got to pay. When if we just remember that we have victory. Y'all, if we got victory over death, what in the world is the light bill? I'm being serious, man. Like, like this is why people look at Christians and they go, eh, why do I need it? Because we don't walk around with the victory we sing about. We don't walk around with the victory we post about or we share about or we tweet about or we have in our Instagram bios or our T-shirts or all the different things we do. We don't act, it's on our coffee cups. We don't live it. No, 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 I've got victory. Why? Because of Jesus. And because I've got victory, the last thing he says, not actually, but for this morning, is that you have hope. You have hope. And why it's so important, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, the thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's the, don't, go back to verse 11 for me. See, this right here, this is the one that everybody posts and wears and has on their wall, and we love this one because it's all cute. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Yes, this is true. He has hope for you. But please remember to keep reading because there's a response that is connected to the realization that he has a future and a hope for us. And it's then you will call upon me and go pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. You may be saying, Pastor Chris, I don't have any hope. Well, are you praying? Are you, are you going to Jesus? Are you seeking Jesus? Because I'm going to tell you, this life cannot be the source of your hope. Your college diploma cannot be the source of your hope. Your job cannot be the source of your hope. Your income cannot be the source of your hope. Your spouse cannot be the source of your hope. Your children cannot be the source of your hope. Your retirement cannot be the source of your hope. Your boat, your jet skis, your hunting lease, your credit cards, your shopping trips, your vacations, all the different things that we have cannot be the source of your hope. Why? Because everything fades away. Everything. But him. And Hebrews says that this hope is an anchor for my soul. That when everything seems to be going crazy, 
And the victory that I sing about, the victory that I believe isn't in front of me yet, I have hope that it's coming. Because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking stand. You are loved. You are forgiven. You're no longer a slave. You're a child. You have power. You have victory. And you have hope. And before I close, I want to I give everybody in here a challenge from this message before we make the close with the altar call. I want you to take these seven things. You might want to listen to this again, or you want to make sure you write them down. But I want you to take this, these seven things that God says about you, and I want you to begin to ask him, Lord, knowing these seven things, what do you have for me next year? Because just like at the beginning, once Pastor Keith told me, hey, I trust you, go make the decision about camp and we'll back you, I walked back into that room with more confidence because I knew somebody believed in me. In this case, you need to go home, you need to sit down, you need to get, pray, get some paper and write out what God is showing you for 2024 because he believes in you, because you are, you are loved and you're forgiven. You're no longer a slave. You're his child. You have power. You have victory. And you have hope. He is behind you. He is wanting to do more through you than you could possibly imagine. But we don't do it because we sit back and think that it's up to us. We're going to fail. We're going to drop the ball. No, 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 no. He's with you. So I want you to let that frame. See, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already in like 2025. Me, like I'm, I'm down the road. I got me a five-year calendar the other day. I'm, I was like, kid on Christmas, this is awesome. First thing I did was mark my 40th birthday and count backwards and realize, Lord Jesus, it's getting close. But let it frame how you think about next year because He believes in you. But you may be here this morning, you may be saying, Pastor Chris, I've never given my life to Jesus. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, everything I said after forgiven doesn't apply to you. You're not his child yet. I know the world will say that we're all children of God. No, he ain't. I said that with some shell stank on it too. No, he ain't. His child, that's people who were blood-bought by the blood of his son. That's his children. And you don't have access to what's his if you're not his child. Because I'm, because I'm his child, you, 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 you don't have access yet to not being a slave. You're still a slave to sin. You don't have power yet. <clears throat> you don't have victory yet. You don't have hope yet. Because you're not his child. Because you're not forgiven. Because you haven't surrendered to the fact that he loves you. Would you bow your heads this morning?